Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I am your host, Lori LeBay. My mom had dementia for 30 years, and that is exactly why I started this show. It's all about bringing people together, raising all voices all around the world. And I want to do a couple of shout outs for those of you that are new to us. Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people. I want to thank the Mark Artisan Band for their beautiful song, Clarion Call, that they allow us to share on each of our shows. I just find that so uplifting. I am also co-founder of Dementia Map. And if you haven't checked it out, please do so. We have 150 different categories that you can search. We've got a fantastic blog, a glossary of terms, because Lord knows we don't know what we don't know uh, until we don't know it. (laughs) And so that can help you out there. There is also a calendar of events. So just check out DementiaMap.com. And then we're still in this COVID slide, even though we seem to be kind of scooting out of it a little bit. I wanted to mention a couple of events that I have. I'm so excited to be doing a couple of live events. April 7th and 8th, I will be down in Winona, Minnesota, doing a screening and um, talk back of the film, A Timeless Love. On the 7th, which is a Thursday, we'll be doing it at 6.30, Friday the 8th at one o'clock. And you can register at 507-454-5212. And I'm still doing uh, Arthur's Memory Cafe online. And so you can join us virtually if you'd like. Right now we have somebody from Vienna and somebody from New Jersey, though the majority of us are from Minnesota here. We meet the second and fourth Wednesday of each month at um, one o'clock central time. And then I also facilitate a conversation for care partners. We're hoping in March we'll be able to go back in person. And that is last Wednesday of each month at 10 o'clock at the Shoreview Community Center. And you can reach out to me to find out more information about both of those. We are going to hear from the ALLS authors and then also from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. And then we'll be talking to our guest. Hello, podcast listener. If you're caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's or dementia, you'll want to check out All's Authors, the global community of authors writing about Alzheimer's and dementia from personal experience. We have the most comprehensive collection of hundreds of carefully vetted books and blogs covering all types of dementia and caring situations. Our authors' personal stories and painfully learned lessons can help you on your own journey. We also offer a fabulous podcast called Untangling Alzheimer's and Dementia, which you can find on any of your podcast platforms. Remember, you are not alone. One can sing a lonely song, but we chose to form a choir and create harmony. Find us at allsauthors.com. 
I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. So I'm really excited to have this conversation today. I uh, was honored to talk with Christiana Eggie a while back and just found her fascinating at all of the work that she is doing in the realm of dementia. She's been driven uh, to be a care partner through her various life roles as a mother, a grandmother, a registered nurse, a diabetic educator, a registered natural health nutritionist, a geriatric and mental health specialist, and she's also the author of A Rose for Grandma, which is a wonderful children's book that isn't just for kids and really shares a beautiful story about dementia. Christiana has spent 10 years out of her 34-year career in nursing, working in the crisis unit of Canada's largest psychiatric hospital. And for the last 22 years, she has worked as the owner and operator of Alexis Lodge Retirement Facilities in Toronto, Canada. And it's a business that she started with her late husband, Anthony, and their whole goal was to impact the lives of those living with Alzheimer's and other types of dementia. The Alexis Lodge is focused on putting individuals first and giving them a place to call home. This is a place where people are treated with love, respect, and dignity when they can no longer be cared for um, at home by their own loved ones. Christiana is a woman of faith, and she uses her belief as a guide to help her help others in the little things that, that make for big impact in their life. She has a daily goal of putting a smile on someone's face to help the world go around and be more positive. And this applies to all of those who care for those with dementia at Alexis Lodge as well. Christiana has always said that love and respect are the cornerstones of caring for an individual. And I couldn't agree more with her on that. She is determined to eradicate the stigma around dementia and mental illness during her life. And let me tell you, she is making one heck of an impact. So welcome, Christiana. I am just thrilled to have this conversation with you today. I always like to start out by asking, have you been touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends? And, and if so, to what depth? Um, actually, I have not. But 
the members of my Alexis Lodge family live with the challenges of Alzheimer's and other types of dementia every day. So I live that journey along with them. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. And if you want to just give a plug for your company, feel free to go ahead and do that. So Alexis Lodge Retirement Residence is a memory care facility in Toronto that I started with my husband about 23 years ago. We take care of people with Alzheimer's and other types of dementia in a home-like environment where we enhance their abilities, their individualities, and also their dignity. Wonderful. What made you decide to to go down that path? I mean, you've got a pretty extensive background, but what made you decide to go ahead and start your own facility community? That's, uh, That's a huge endeavor. It is. As a matter of fact, it started over 35 years ago when I was a student nurse on my very first mental health rotation, which was preceded by tales of horror and fear. So when we arrived on the first day gripped with fear, we saw that everyone looked just like us, you know, and they were very pleasant. We had fun with them. We danced, you know, we did all different activities. And, you know, it actually became my best uh, rotation. But I was saddened by the fact that, you know, they were plagued with such stigma. And I sort of vowed that, you know, I would try to help eradicate the stigma around mental illness. When I graduated um, a a couple of years after and had the opportunity to come to Canada, I thought for sure it would be different here. But sadly, I was wrong. I quickly realized that mental health stigma is worldwide and that it was an issue that needed to be dealt with. So I also had the opportunity to start out my career at um, the Center for Addictions and Mental Health which is the largest psychiatric hospital in Canada. And I worked on the crisis unit for 10 years. However, my heart was consistently broken with the conditions in which some of the patients would come in. You know, I would go home and vent to my husband, you know, just wishing that maybe they had more supportive housing. They had people looking out for them, making sure they took their medications. Then they would not be coming back so often to the hospital he would listen patiently and just reassure me. So when we had our third child, Alexis, he gave me the opportunity. And that was when we started Alexis Lodge Retirement Residence to look after individuals with uh, Alzheimer's and other types of dementia. So that's the story. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because you you kept seeing the need. And I think we all hope it'll be different somewhere else. And then you just get to this point of, I have to do something. I, this is this is not right. Yeah. And so kudos to you and your family for stepping up and, and stepping in and providing, you know, a better way to care, understanding the needs of why people are coming back, you know, to the hospital setting and that that can be prevented if we care for them better outside the hospital, for sure. Um, Now, you also write books and you've written a beautiful children's book. Why don't we talk a little bit about that and and what got you into deciding to write a book? Actually, that is an extension of the whole story. (laughs) So even (laughs) though we had this opportunity to, you know, start impacting lives and helping people live dementia with a different experience, But the pain in my heart continued to grow because I was now faced with families 
and you know residents who had challenges more than a third of my residents have no family involvement at all so we become their families and you know it'll be easy for people to judge and say oh you know they're so mean they don't care but that is not true you have to sort of look back and say what happened how did this how did it come to this point because dementia is actually destroying the very fabric that holds families together what people don't understand about caregiving and you know caregiver burnout is you get to a point where you just you you completely just give up you 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 know your relationship your trust your love for that individual just has been overtaken with all these sufferings and challenges that you guys went through so i you know i find myself advocating and you know helping supporting families and and so forth you know looking for resources in the community some of these families have no access to these resources because they could be that 80, 90-year-old person with no social media um, know-how, and there are no more phone books. Family doctors sometimes don't know, you know, what to do or where to send these individuals until they get to the hospital, you know, maybe their spouse has started to hit them and so forth. So I decided that I needed to do something about it to have a bigger reach. Like, yeah, I'm trying in my own little way to make a difference, but I want more people to know about this disease because it's, there's so much misunderstanding about dementia. A lot of people only know about Alzheimer's and, you know, so, and some of this can be prevented. So that is why I decided to write a book, but in so doing, I wanted it to be less threatening. You know, I wanted to speak to the voices of children because I actually wrote three books as well. I, I also meant for this book to be enjoyed and understood and by all. It doesn't matter what your age, whoever, anyone that picks up that book will learn something from the book. So that is why I wrote the books. Well, A Rose for Grandma is when you sent me and it's, it's absolutely beautifully done. And it tells a wonderful story and, and the realities and the innocence of a child and that bond of wanting to help one another. And, and I, think, I think children are so priceless because they don't see a lot of things that adults see. They haven't been taught to look at things differently and um, put things down, they still just kind of want to play and engage and, and things for the most part out there. And I think they have a wonderful way of, of teaching adults to kind of let go of some of the baggage that we've held on to. And they're open to, to learning, I think, easier too uh, than not all adults, but, but a lot of them out there, you know, they've got their beliefs, and they're going down that path, and you're not going to change my mind. Um, we're, we're kids, kids, kids really want to know what's, what's going on, you know, and how can I help? And so you've just done a, a really beautiful job with that book and, and um, bringing out in an honest, beautiful way, illness that, you know, is going to hit us all at some point, it might not be a form of dementia, it might be something else, but all of those caring concerns and how we treat one another are still there no matter what it is we're dealing with. And so I think it's a, a beautiful opportunity that you took to put it to words and, and the pictures are beautiful in the book as well. Yes, thank you. Really I, yeah, I try to, to use this, the pictures to tell the story. 
Um, the other books, actually, the next one is about vascular dementia, and the third one is on uh, misdementia, but those are not published yet. I'm looking to publish the second book by this spring, God willing. So the thing also is we tend to overlook our children. So children are sort of ignored, but they see everything. Sometimes parents think they are protecting them. You know, honesty is the best policy. You know, they see. So let them understand what is actually going on with grandma or grandpa so that they don't feel that their grandparents don't love them on days that are really difficult when they don't want to talk. You know, when when you get children involved, it's like Annie. After she heard what was happening, she went to school. She was thinking and thinking, just completely, you know, overwhelmed with everything. And then the teacher saw that and asked her what was going on. They used that opportunity to educate other children. And also she found out that she was not alone. There were other children that were dealing with similar issues. So it's really helpful. And what I'm trying to now let people know is Alzheimer's or dementia is not a family disease, you know, it's the most isolating disease because you lose your friends, you lose, you know, people just think they can catch it or people feel like, you know, if you can understand them, there's no use talking with you and so forth. But it should be a family disease and a community disease. So the more we know, you know, when friends can even just offer you a meal, or even come and sit with your loved one for a couple of hours when you take a break. That would be so important. So that is what I'm now trying to help people understand. You know, we need to all learn about this disease because it's a global epidemic, you know. So let us learn and let us learn how to support and be sensitive to people with the disease. Because sometimes I take my residents for walks and people start glancing at us, looking at us, you know, sort of moving out of the way. They're not going to catch it, you know. A lot of education, a lot of stigma to move through. The other thing I would add with kids is I think not only do they worry, did they do something wrong? Does somebody not love them anymore because they're not talking to them? But also the whole family dynamics changes. It does. And so they, they might have been kind of king of the hill. Now they're down here and they, they have no idea what happened because families are trying to protect them. But yet they they still feel everything that's changed. They just don't have any explanation for it. And as we know, at anybody at any age, that's not healthy. We all want we all want to understand what's going on, and we all want to be able to help as well. Sometimes kids start to act up. You know, mm-hmm. they start to act up, or they withdraw, and even become depressed as well. Right. So. Oh, good point. Good point. Yep. Exactly. Now, you brought up a couple times about caregiver burnout, and it's really easy to get fried out and get overwhelmed. How would you define that for people who might not really understand? Maybe they haven't stepped into the the carrying ring or don't think they have yet. And then how do you prevent it? So the thing is, every one of us is either going to be a caregiver or we need a caregiver. And unfortunately, it does not come with instructions, right? So you just fall into it. You've done this. You did this for many, many years. So, um, but when you are in the process, I was actually thinking about myself when my children were babies. 
I felt like I was the only one who could, you know, nurture them when they are in, when they are in distress, even when they are with their dad, they start crying. I, I reach out to pick them up. So this is the mistake that a lot of caregivers make. You think you are the one and only person that can take care of your loved one or do the best care. But caregivers need to learn to be a little bit selfish. You need, you know, the saying, put on your own oxygen mask first before you can help someone else. So caregivers need to learn how to accept help, you know, ask for help. And also people don't, like we talked about earlier, people don't understand this disease very well. Learn everything you can about this disease. You know, it's a debilitating disease. It's a disease that eventually will lead to death. So, and there are so many challenges along the way. Everyone with this disease exhibits different things. So, but once you have that common knowledge, you know how to navigate it and you have the support system with you. But again, caregivers don't understand or know what caregiver burnout is when they get to that point. So if you start to have become easily overwhelmed, irritable, you're not sleeping well, mind you, people with dementia sometimes don't sleep, but, you know, find time to, to take a nap during the day. And, and, you know, you may start having digestive issues. You, you start not to, you know, like the things that you like to do. You start to withdraw, you know, even some people have panic attacks, you know, increased anxiety, depression, so many things, but you don't really know, or even just feeling sick. All of a sudden you have so many complaints and the illnesses that the doctor cannot even diagnose. This could be part of caregiver burnout. So what do you do? When you understand what it is, or you, you start to reach out for help, you could talk to a professional, you know, uh, look for resources in your area, community centers. You offer a lot of things, um, Laurie, yourself, right? The Alzheimer's Society and, you know, there are caregiver support. A lot of people find that, you know, just talking to someone else who is sort of dealing with the same thing is so helpful. You know, get help with respite care, either day respite or overnight respite. Even one week, take a break. And in every given day, please try to take at least 20 minutes for yourself for your mental health break as well. Have a self-care plan, a health plan. You know, you have to eat right. You have to exercise. You need to rest. So these are all the things that you need to do and many more to help, you know, mitigate caregiver burnout. I think you're so right. A lot of people don't know that they're a caregiver to begin with, and then they don't realize that they're burnt out because they're so busy being busy delivering care and doing everything that they used to do, we're not evaluating ourselves. We're not seeing the changes um, happening within our, our own bodies and minds. Um, we're not necessarily checking off, hey, you really aren't sleeping. You really aren't eating well. You, you haven't seen friends in forever. You know, you haven't had just a, you haven't laughed, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. all of those things are really, really essential. And I loved when you said about support groups, because I know I was resistant to go to one thinking, oh, and it was quite cocky on my side. And I didn't even know that I was being like that. But I was like, well, you know, I know more than the average bear, I'll be okay. You know, I, so I thought, oh, I don't need that. And I went to a support group to listen to a friend who was supposed to talk, who ended up not showing because he was sick. Oh. And I thought, I'm coming back. 
I, because it was, it was just nice to be around other people that understood what it was you were going through and you could laugh, you could cry, you could, you could just be honest. And they understood where a lot of times other family members and friends don't understand. And then that gets, that gets, I think the the care partner even more frustrated and feeling more alone (laughs) and, and, and pushes people away because it's like, well, then don't come around if you don't get it, if you're not going to help, if you don't see it, because you're just making my job harder. And, and people don't even see that it's almost like a invisible tug of war that's going on. And then all of a sudden it's an all out war and the whole family can feel it. It's, it's really bizarre how things kind of fester small and then they just kind of blow up um, and not healthy. And you know, like you said, with all the health issues, those can be signs of burnout and people don't think about those. But, you know, I would, I would say for any, um, anyone listening who is caring for another is how many times have you thought maybe you should go to the doctor, but haven't because you don't have time. Mm -hmm. And that's probably, I think one of the most common things. And please, if you disagree with me, please speak up. But I see a lot of um, care partners saying, I don't have time to go for myself. And they just, they, they just keep pushing it off. And then their situation it mounts and gets even bigger. And the thing is the caregiver guilt is a mm-hmm. killer. You know, even long after loved ones are gone, families are still grappling with that. Like, you know, the caregiver guilt. I think you should caregivers should be able to forgive themselves like you may have negative thoughts some people may even wish their loved one dead it doesn't make you a bad person own the feeling and deal with it and also um you know just like you were I I actually forgot what you said just now but you know just look after yourself too because if you don't one day you know some caregivers die even before the ones that they are caring for so when you both, when you're completely depleted and you can no longer give anything of yourself, you have failed both of you. So you need to just make sure that you care for yourself so that you are able to do this care longer and be there to support your loved one for a lot longer. Yeah, I agree. And I, I've seen that play out many times, as I'm sure you have, where all of a sudden the care partners in the hospital with a heart attack or something else and then the whole family is jaws are dropping going ah what do we do now you know and then and the care partner's going well I never saw this one coming you know (laughs) it wasn't going to be me that was going to go out first or I was never going to get this sick and and there's not a most of them don't have a backup plan of what if something happens to me and that needs to be part of the plan if we're going to be honest Now, you also have a wellness podcast called Forever Young. Why don't we talk about that and what inspired you to do that? You're just this mover and shaker (laughs) up in Toronto. I love it. So when I see a need, you know, I try to feel it. So again, that was inspired by um, just looking at my resident population. I have currently a gentleman who is almost a hundred, he'll be a hundred in May. He can still do stairs and he can still take care of most of his own needs. I also have residents who are in their seventies who have a very difficult time, you know, even getting out of the chair. So, and um, a few years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, I got interested in wellness. That was when I became a natural health nutritionist. 
I realized that, you know, how you treat your body, what you bank is what you're going to, you know, be able to cash, you know, when, you know, when you grow older. So it's what you put in that you will get out. So what is the difference between this healthy hundred year old and the people that are not so healthy? Like, what is the problem? What is the cause? So I realized that, you know, chronic gut health will lead to chronic diseases. And all of us, we're dealing with inflammation and all this gut inflammation. This is a science that is not well received or is still new, but a lot of people now are more proactive about their health. So I wanted to share what I know. So I invited a friend of mine to join me. And on Forever Young, we talk about all different health um, um, situations in very plain language. I'm not talking about research or anything. I'm just talking just like an average person, giving people ideas. So we talk about caregiver burnout, you know, resilience, anxiety, depression, obesity, because like I said earlier, some of the dementias can be prevented. Like even now when I don't want to be controversial, but even now they're saying that you can prevent Alzheimer's disease. So how do we keep our residents, their families, and even the younger people living forever young by doing the right things, you know, eating healthy, exercising, rest, mitigating your stress levels and so forth. And especially with this pandemic, we're in a mental health crisis. So what can you do? Like, you know, the serotonin, the happy hormone, actually we have more in our guts than in the brain. So if you eat right, you know, you could be, you know, you, your mental health could be better than when you eat a lot of junk food and you're not, you know. So those type of things are the things that we talk about. Just, you know, help everyone stay at home and be dementia free if possible. So wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be lovely? You know, and you had mentioned the inflammation, which it causes so many different diseases. Yeah. It's huge. And yet in most communities, and, and I'll say even when we were doing our memory cafe in person for the longest time, we were serving sweets and it's like, no, we need to switch to nuts and fruit. And, you know, I mean, it was just because that's the way it was always done. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of fell into that mode until one day we kind of slapped ourselves in the face and said, what, what are we doing? This doesn't, this doesn't even make sense. We're talking one thing and we're walking another path. And, and sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it until there's a conversation that, that points it out. And, and that's a, that's a good thing. That's a good yeah. thing. And it's not to say that you shouldn't eat sweets anymore, but, you know, you have to limit it, have a balance, mm -hmm. like, you know, go more low glycemic, um, you know, so reduce the sugar contents and so forth. So, yeah. So, for instance, if you're serving cookies, you're serving, you know, don't add ice cream and stuff. You know, you can also have vegetables on the side and all that because we are creatures of habit. When you tell people not to do something, they will do it more, unfortunately, <laughs> just the way it is. So you have to, you know, teach people to balance. This is what yeah. we do. You know, how do you bring a high glycemic uh, food to low glycemic uh, level so that, you know, it balances out? Mm -hmm. Well, and it's and dietary stuff is complicated, you know, and every diet is telling you something different out oh, there, nice. trying to sway you, which which makes it even more complicated. Mm -hmm. And and I know even with my own healthcare now, um, I said, well, you know, I'd like to meet with a nutritionist. Oh, we don't do that anymore. You can come in and we'll put you on a pill. And I'm like, 
I don't want to go on a pill. I want to learn about the food because I've always been ignorant about that. Yeah. They're like, no, we just don't do that anymore. And I thought a pill is not always the answer. No, it's not. You know, and, and then that could come up with some other issues. I, I, I just... I, I was shocked at that though. I was absolutely shocked at that. I'm like, oh, do I have to get diabetes for you to have, have me meet with a nutritionist? You have to be proactive. Yeah, I know that there's a lot of information and misinformation, but you have to look at what resonates with you, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, take baby steps. You don't have to become vegetarian to be healthy. You don't have to shop whole foods to only eat good food, you know, but just learning like how, how much sugar should I take in? Mm -hmm. What is good? How to read labels? So it's like something as simple as a yogurt. You go and buy yogurt that has 20 grams of sugar. That's not helpful. So when you know that you're looking at about the average of five grams of sugar, or a little bit more but intake, that would be great. So these are, there are lots of things that you can learn and, you know, do it on yourself, by yourself or, you know, find health and wellness um, uh, people to support you yeah. because uh, medicine is not geared for that yet. So the traditional medicine still has its ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of people will say medicine isn't to make us healthy. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I know, I know, but there's people out there thinking I mean, it. Yes. <laughs> and there, and there's, there's times when I feel that way and there's times when I don't, you know, it's a, uh, it, it's a complicated situation. And but the good uh, thing is more and more doctors and health practitioners are now embracing wellness because right. it's some, nutrition wasn't something that was taught for many. I think doctors have only so many hours of nutrition classes. Mm -hmm. So you can't do what you don't know. It's like, you know, the pill and surgery and stuff, but it's changing. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be proactive to see what doctor resonates with your thinking and who do you think will help you achieve the, the health that you want to attain. Yeah. So. And you've got to be your own advocate too. Yes. You know? you have to. So. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your dementia care homes because you're talking about Alexis next. Yes. Um, so that must be your um, your next version. So why don't you tell us the difference between the existing version and, and what you conceptually see in the future? So Alexis Nest is in a revolutionized um Alexis Lodge. <laughs> These are memory care facilities that are going to provide not just exceptional, compassionate, and person-centered care, but we are also creating purpose-built facilities that are evidence-based design and will affect the way that we practice with very high infection control practices. So in these buildings that we are, we are considering, we're going to have sensors that will monitor, you know, the gates, walking gates of residents that will monitor sleep. And, you know, um, they, they will help us to have data that will help improve the care that we provide. So basically, this is where design, care meets design and technology. So it will be high touch, uh, high technology and, you know, evidence-based design. And we are also not just going to be providing care for the people that live in our buildings. We're going to reach out into the community to support people to have their loved ones live at home longer in the sense that we can provide um, 
dementia consultants to go into the homes and help them, you know, even um, recreational therapists to help, you know, families know how to keep their loved ones, you know, entertained and, and active and just enhance their care levels. Uh, see, sometimes when people have dementia, people tend to think they can't do anything else, but they can. There's so many ways that you can get them, break down those steps for them, but it's not something that everyone can pick up as well. We are going to have families be able to come in and receive training inside Alexis Lodge while we're also providing day respite and overnight respite care. So um, we do that now, but we haven't done that because of COVID. But it's everything that we do, but we are taking it up a notch. Well, that's exciting. I, I like the high touch, the high tech, the high design and, and the high connection level that you're going to be pulling together you know, with all of that, when you talk about the the sensors for the gate and stuff, I had interviewed a friend of mine, uh, gosh, she's over in Australia, and I had never seen anything like it before, but they had sensors in the floor, so they could tell where everybody was at in the building. They had elevators where people would have like a key fob, and they would just have it around, you know, their, their wrist, but the, the elevator wouldn't open if it wasn't the right elevator to their floor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it was, it was incredible, the stuff and the lights would come on as somebody was walking down the hall, instead of having everything lit all the time, they had little um, boxes on the outside of a room where if somebody had to drop off laundry or medications or whatever it was, they could put them in, open up this kind of hole in the wall, you know, this cabinet, drop it off. And so they wouldn't have to interfere with somebody's privacy until it was time to, to go in to see them for a, a specific thing. But if they knew somebody was sleeping and resting, they didn't interfere with them. It was just, it was pretty amazing. All of those things that that can come into play that makes such a huge difference or I know uh, Abe's Garden does this they they have on their nightstands um, they have put uh, sensor lights so when somebody gets up out of bed and their feet hit the floor the light goes on but it's not bright and it doesn't have to plug into the wall nobody knows it's there mm-hmm. but they have they have them placed kind of through the room and on the way that are out of, you know, out of the way. So no one's going to be picking at them or pulling at, pulling at them or wrecking them because they, they're not going to see them, but mm-hmm. they'll just automatically come on for, for safety and stuff. There's so, I don't think people realize how much stuff is out there um, and how exciting it all is. It is, it is, because those are purpose-built facilities. Mm-hmm. It's not just about putting people in, you know, resort-like homes. I don't remember the name of the lady. I think it's something to do with the autism um, report where she says that disability is a function of the environment. So if you were to put a grown man in a, in a children's playground, it's not going to function. So it's where you put people. So you want to put people in Uh, spaces where they can function so we know people have dementia we know what challenges they have so how do we help them function Mm -hmm. better more independently you know with support because you want to just promote their dignity so that is what that is it's 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 a beautiful thing and I'm really excited for when we we actually come to that 
Oh, very much so. And I think it was really important when you mentioned about the independence, because so many people think, you know, once you leave your house, you've lost your independence. And it's really just like you said, it's about making a better match so you can live freer and more independently without the burdens of something that doesn't match your needs anymore. And it'll probably let you sleep and your family sleep a little bit easier because people aren't going to be worried about all the what, what ifs that could happen um, in safety issues. I know we went through that with my own folks when they were living up at the lake and um, things had declined, not only with my mom, but my dad had brain cancer and they weren't always making the best choices. And so one winter we, we found out that my mom had taken a fall and even though I talked with them three to four times a day, they lived like two and a half hours away. I didn't hear about that. My brothers didn't hear about that till summer. Mm. And we just thought this can't go on because everybody up, up at the lake who they're very close with left in the winter and went south, but my folks weren't able to. And so we needed to do something different in the winter, you know, for them. And it was a, a little bit of a challenge at first convincing my dad, <laughs> my, my mom was, my mom was okay. But then my, my dad really he he realized it once the change was made and he was still able to go to the lake and do those things um, but there was just more support and it was really less burden on him but he wasn't looking at looking at it like that originally the other thing I loved is when you talked about uh giving family education yes I think that is a, a missed mark on a lot of levels I, I think many communities educate, but a lot of them don't do it on a regular basis. Or the other thing that I think that can be really helpful is when you're educating the staff at the same time or on a similar piece is the family. So then everyone's speaking the same language as new tools are coming in. And I, I think that that's something that most organizations don't do because they see them as totally separate. Mm -hmm. um, and we're not, we're, we're all working together. Or we should be for yes. the same cause. For the same purpose, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Gosh, well, you are really doing some neat things and a lot of variety, which, which I love. Um, you know, you're really, you're really taking it to a lot of different levels and using different mediums to be able to voice your your thoughts and and educate people is there anything that i that i didn't ask you that i should have anything we're missing no i think we've talked about it all except that um i'm i i'll love another opportunity to come back and talk to you about my next book uh the one on vascular dementia on, on masking grandpa because that's mm -hmm. another interesting one that you know and like i said it's more preventative than the Alzheimer's and people just need to know to, to um, you know, take better care of themselves. What you eat matters. I think one of my favorite quotes is from Heather Morgan. She says, every time you eat or drink, you're either feeding disease or fighting it. So just imagine that every time you take a bite, mm -hmm. you are either causing disease down the road. You know, it takes a long time. For, for chronic diseases to manifest. So let's all, you know, eat well, sleep well, exercise, mindful movements. 
and also mindful moments. Take time to, to just relax, give yourself a break and you know, keep your brain healthy and strong and look for ways to mitigate your stress so that you know, it'll be a, a happier society. So um, yeah, that's all I have to say. What a wonderful way to wrap things up. It was so concise and, and made so much sense. And I think sometimes we think everything has to be so complicated and it really doesn't, but we just, like you said, we have to be mindful about it. We have to think about it. We have to be, we have to live consciously, um, but, you know, and, and realize the choices we're making instead of just getting through our day. And I think uh, life has gotten so fast. People are just so focused on getting through the day and, um, and then binge watching TV because they don't want to deal with anything. With, with a lot of, you know, snacks. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and that's just eating just, mindlessly, you know, yeah. it's a huge bag of something you shouldn't eat. So yeah, we need yeah. to be more mindful and, you know, exercise, walk, just walking, mm-hmm. you know, getting some fresh air, keep ourselves forever young. Exactly. Exactly. Now you have a website. Um, We've got an email. They can purchase your book on Amazon. We've got your LinkedIn information. You have a YouTube channel, Twitter, Instagram, and then also your phone. We've got all those things listed for people, um, you know, on the radio page, on the blog uh, posts and so forth. So you know, check, check it out. She, she's here to talk to, um, you know, reach out to her and um, maybe there's a collaboration out there somewhere along the line. Maybe you want her as your next guest or featured speaker. She's full of knowledge and it really has just been a privilege to have you on the show with us today. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Laurie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And to our listeners, uh, please like, click, and share. Uh, this was loaded with valuable information, and I can't wait to see your your next next level community too. So we'll have to definitely stay connected for um, your next book, your community, and I look forward to following you on your podcast as well. I appreciate the opportunity. I have a great week. You too. Yes. Bye now, everyone. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.